Some years ago, there were two groups of missionaries that both went to Thailand. I, I've been blessed to be able to serve as a missionary in Thailand, very difficult uh, mission field. And there were two different groups that had two very different strategies. And uh, there was a PhD student who happened to be following these two groups to kind of measure what they were doing, how they were doing it, and what was the success of their two different approaches to ministry. Missionary group A went to Thailand, and, and they did uh, what I like to call cold turkey evangelism. That was 99% of their strategy. Cold turkey evangelism is when you go up to people on the street, you, you have a kind of spur-of-the-moment conversation with them, and you share the gospel about Jesus Christ with them. Uh, now, before I knock cold turkey evangelism, I want you to know I love evangelism. In fact, I lead teams out to go evangelizing regularly, and uh, it's a very important part of the development of a follower of Christ to learn how to share your faith like that. And I will continue to push on that pedal for us as a church. But this first group, that was their primary agenda, cold turkey evangelism. Group B, this other group of missionaries, they had another methodology of how they went about missions, and their, their goal was to just bless their community. Their goal was to just be so present in loving and serving and eating with and being ingrained in the lives of the people of the community they were going to that, uh, that, that the Holy Spirit would just create opportunities to share the gospel naturally. And their, their lead foot was loving this community sacrificially, just being in their lives. Well, this PhD student, he was measuring the, the, the two groups and he wrote this, this dissertation on it and he measured the two groups in two different ways. The first way was on social impact. Okay, so what he meant by that was the level of uh, flourishing to the community that were brought because of the presence of the communities. So group A, negligible. After two years of ministry, negligible social impact. Group B, off the charts. The entire community was aware of their presence. Virtually everybody in the community had been blessed by them after two years and would say, without those people here, we would be worse off. Everything improved, from the well-being of individual families to um, water that was coming in. Everything was getting better. So the first group, or the second group, kind of dominated that, that measurement. The second measurement was on converts. How many people came to faith in Jesus Christ after two years? The, uh, the first group, the cold turkey evangelists, brought two people to faith in Jesus in two years. How many people do you think the second group brought to faith in Jesus in two years? Oh, not 200, good guess. 100, 100. There's something very telling about this. Uh, the way that we are to go about blessing our communities and being the salt and the light of the earth uh, is much more than just evangelism. That's a part of it. But we are supposed to be present. We're supposed to be involved. We're supposed to be deeply plugged into our communities. The question I want to start us off with today is this. What would it look like for a church in Chicago, of what, 150 folks we got here? Two, I don't know what the number is today, something like that. What would it look like for 150 people to start living like group B? And to just have it in their mind, God has us here as missionaries. And our life is not about us. It's not about us. It's not why we're here. It's not to, it's not to build our own little kingdoms. Jesus has each and every missionary that's a part of this church plugged into their spheres of influence. And what would it look like for every person here to take on the role of a missionary saying, look, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna bless everybody in my life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna 
I'm going to be in, in life with them. Where, where I go flourishing is going to follow. I'm going to, I'm going to eat with them. I'm going to be a wise counselor in their life. I'm going to love their kids. I'm going to, I'm going to help them when they need to go to the hospital. I'm, and we're just going to bless people. I wonder how we would do on those two measurements if one church in the city of Chicago, downtown, do you know where we are, where this church is? Hey, look at that window. This is, this is a mission field. This, this is it, right? But I've been a missionary in Bangkok, Thailand, and I can tell you right now, our mission field right here is just as large as the mission field I lived on in Thailand. It's right there. What would it look like for all of us to say, let's get real serious about blessing our community. What would the results be? Uh, this is a fitting sermon for us. Uh, next week, we're gonna be beginning a nine-month series through, the, birth, uh, through the, uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're gonna be going verse by verse through that entire book. And I've shared that with you. Uh, my car, which is an, in, in a tow company in Wisconsin somewhere, uh, has uh, all the 1 Corinthians journals I was hoping to give out to all of you today. Uh, but everyone who's on this journey with us through 1 Corinthians is going to get a little journal to be able to take notes during every week, sermon in every small group. And it's got the scripture on the left-hand side and then a, a blank page to really be diligent about following through. And this is going to be a great sermon series where we dig into the life of the church. And what is the church about? And, and how do you dig through the mess of a church? Because Right? You've been around church long enough, you realize it's a big mess because we're a bunch of sinful people. Okay? So, so how do you dig through that? That's 1 Corinthians. Okay? But today, we back up just a little bit, and we're going to look at John chapter 17. And uh, John chapter 17 is known as the high priestly prayer. And it would do every Christian in this room well to remember that, that connection. John 17, high priestly prayer. Every Christian should just have that locked and loaded in your mind. High priestly prayer, John chapter 17. This is Jesus' final prayer. He prayed over his disciples before he was crucified, okay? It's a very memorable prayer. He hits on a number of themes as he goes through it. But if you think about what he's doing, it's, it's a little bit like his last blessing over his church to be. And in this prayer, he actually very directly prays not only for those 12 disciples, but he prays for you. Because in the prayer, as you'll see, he prays for those who would come to faith through the testimony of the disciples. Guess who that is? That's you and me. We, we are here in this room because of their faithfulness, passing on from one generation to the next. This is a prayer that Jesus prayed over you, his church, of what we ought to be about. Sometimes I know we go about church shopping and trying to figure out what should this church be about. And honestly, sometimes, you know there's Yelp reviews on churches? Where they measure, I was browsing through this, they measure everything from the taste of the coffee to the, the way the speakers are set up to the way the pastor was dressed is this what the church is about? <laughs> or do we get back to the words of Jesus Christ and we say, no, we're not, gonna, we're, we're not interested in the gimmicks. Let's get after what Jesus said. Let's do that well and see what blessings he brings in this community. That's the aim of today. I'm gonna keep it real simple. Way too many themes in John 17 to preach on the whole thing. I'm gonna try to draw out three primary themes for us. Um, and my hope for you is that you'd go home and maybe reflect on this a bit more as well. There's many themes I can't touch on today. But to begin... Let me read the whole prayer. It's a whole chapter, okay? But Jesus prayed this over you, so it might do us well to hear it. John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, 
And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do, that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. A little bit of insight into the nature of the Trinity right there. I've manifested your name to the people whom you, have, whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they've kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave me, and they've received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they believe that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. Pause. Hear Jesus pray for you, okay? Be ministered by his prayer over you. He's speaking this and praying this about you. I'm glorified in them. Verse 11, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Joy, joy, everlasting joy at the heartbeat of the church. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus' desire for you to be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you, church. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be even as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one. Do you notice the sense of unity moving together, oneness, from start to finish in this. I and them, and you and me, verse 23, uh, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Word of the Lord. Three ideas out of here. Many we could pull. I want to highlight three that I'm praying will be marching orders for us for the next ministry year. Number one, we are a Bible-rooted community. We are a Bible-rooted community. That means each of you are a Bible-rooted member of this community. John 17, verses six to eight. Let me read them again to us. It said, I have manifested your name to the, the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. They have received them, 
and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. In that verse, those verses, we see two things that the people of God do with the word of God. They receive it and they keep it. They receive it and they keep it. Now that's an English translation. Let me break those words down for you. What does it mean to receive? To receive his word means that your heart is not cold to God and the way he's working in your life. To receive the word is that you once God gets a hold of you, you angle and position your life in such a way that he's, he's able to speak to you. He's able to guide you. There is a way to be a Christian that, that you just harden yourself and, and you become calloused and you become disillusioned with God and you don't expect him to speak to you. You don't expect the word of God to have any, any new things to reveal to you and new ways to change you. And he says, no, you are a receptive people. You're positioning yourself daily to receive what God wants to do in your word, in your life, through the word of God. And it comes through the word. When we speak of the word of God, we're speaking about this Bible, the word of God, that are the recorded words of Jesus Christ as he spoke through the prophets and the apostles. So they receive it, but then they keep it. Now that word means we guard it with our life. That word means that we're jealous for the word of God. We have a hunger that, that it will be maintained properly in the life of our community. We don't wiggle on the word of God. We, 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 we keep it. We're firm on it. We, 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 don't, we, we, don't, we don't have agendas that are partially the word of God and partially some scheme and concoction that we came up with to play church. That is not how we do this. We are a Bible-rooted community. Everything we do in our individual lives, we just watch child dedication, right? How do we parent children? What's the strategy? Do we need the next Dr. Phil book or something like that? What's the book we need? We need this book. That's how we parent our children. Everything it says in here. How do you lead a church? Do we need the best best-selling leadership book? Do we need Dale Carnegie? What, what do we need? Here's the book we need. This is it. H how do we run our businesses? How are we employees? How do you love a wife? How do you date? H how are you in community? How are you a friend? How are you a son or a daughter? What books do we need on this? Where do we go? Here it is. These are our marching orders. We soak it up. And then we guard it with our life. We keep it. We maintain it. We're jealous for it. I love that word, jealous for it. You know, that strikes us a little weird in our modern day because jealousy is kind of like this, uh, this kind of uh, you know, negative, negative word. It has a very negative connotation when used in the wrong way, but jealousy is a very good thing. For example, a husband should be very jealous for his wife in the right way. I don't want any other man flirting with my wife. Off limits, right? I, I'm a guard, between anything like that happening. God is jealous for you. We see that all through scripture, right? He, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a husband to his bride, that's the church, and he will guard you. He doesn't want you slipping into idolatry and into bad habits that will harm you. And we, in turn, are jealous for his word. There's a wonderful story in Numbers chapter 25 about Phineas. I preached on Phineas a while ago. <laughs> Amazing story, Phineas. What happened in Numbers 25 is 
there is this great uh, sinful idolatry that was taking place in the camp of the people of God in the Old Testament. And, uh, and, and, and God brought his judgment. Death was taking place. And, and the people of God gathered together and said, whoa, we have, we've sinned. And they had a national repentance, day of national repentance and mourning. And they were calling out to God, God, we're sorry. We, we, we're turning from our sin. We recognize your justice and your judgment is right for us. And right in the middle of it, this punk walks through the camp of, of God and, and he brings a prostitute with him and walks over to his tent. <laughs> right while the church is trying to ask for forgiveness, he's flaunting his sexual sin and idolatry. Phineas takes matters into his own hands and kills them on the spot. Now, today is not a message on why that was justified in the Old Testament, okay? Another day, sign up for systematic theology, which is being taught in a few weeks, and I'll give you a good lesson on that, okay? Not justified today. We don't take matters into our own hands, okay? However, however, when God comes down to Phineas, he gives a very specific word to him. Listen to what he says in Numbers 25. The Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. What, what Phinehas did is celebrated by God. Why? He was jealous for the word of God. And when he saw something coming into the camp that was gonna bring ruin, and it was sin, it shouldn't be there, and, it, and he knew sin breeds more sin. It manifests itself, it, it multiplies, and then, and then you get these plagues going through a sin, and then you grow numb to God, and then more judgment comes on you. What did he do? He was so hungry that they would be a community that lived by the book that he, that he did something about it. He was jealous for the word of God. He received it and he kept it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God <clears throat> and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. If you, if you wanna know God, this book needs to be the centerpiece of your life. And I don't know where you are today. If you're joining with us and, and you're somewhat new to this church, uh, if, you should know this about us. We are going to push you to know this book with great fervor. We want all of your life to be about this, not what your religion was, not what your religious experience was, not your traditional experience with church and, and the ways you think you're supposed to go about. All that's fine. We got room for that. We'll have all those conversations and they're welcome at the table. But what we're gonna be about is challenging you to know this Word, because as you know it, as it goes deep and roots deep in your heart, it sanctifies you. It brings life. It brings flourishing. It makes you come alive. I want you to know that individually. But it's not just an individual pursuit. We are a Bible-rooted community. This is our marching orders. This is where we go. This is what we do. We're after it together. And what that means is not just that when you come into this place, the way we're structured and how we preach are biblically based. Yes and amen, of course. But that means that in your relationships, these, this book is at the center of it. You don't have to have a seminary degree to be able to bring this out with a friend and tell them what you've been learning. You don't have to have a master's degree to be, to be able to say, look, you know, what you're sharing with me, you know, I was reading in Matthew, and Jesus says something that I think might minister to you. Any follower of Christ for more than 10 seconds can do that. 
doesn't matter where you are, you're equipped to minister to each other. How do you minister? With the word of God. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. That's our conviction. It's where we are. We're not out to compete with the next best show in town. We're out to form the word of God in us. Charles Spurgeon, I love how he speaks of the word. He says, why is it that some Christians, although they hear many sermons, make but slow advances in the divine life? Because they neglect their closets and do not thoughtfully meditate on God's word. They love the wheat, but they do not grind it. They would have the corn, but they will not go forth into the fields to gather it. The fruit hangs upon the tree, but they will not pluck it. The water flows at their feet, but they will not stoop to drink it. From such folly deliver us, O Lord. A healthy biblical community requires each of you to be growing in your personal love of God through the word of God. And then you bring that into this place with you. And it creates a saltiness about us. This is where we're going, church. This is where we're going. We're not backing down. We're not, we're not playing around. And I'm inviting you to get on board with this. How do we apply this point? Two things. Number one, this First Corinthians series, I, I think, is just going to be really transformative for us. So come prepared next week. If you've not already taken the time to read through the book of 1 Corinthians twice, like I advise you to do before beginning this sermon series, do it this week. You can do it. Read through it twice. See how God ministers to you as you prepare for this sermon series. Number two, uh, we, uh, we are launching the academy again this year. Uh, there's a number of classes, live classes that are coming up, systematic theology, which if you have not taken that, I recommend every person in this room sign up for it. This is on top of small groups. So not everyone will be able to do this, but if you are looking for a way to grow in your love and knowledge of the word of God and learn how it's not just about the mind, but it shapes the heart and fuels you for life of mission, the academy is what we've created for you. Live classes are on Wednesday nights, $35 a class. Uh, you get some incredible teaching from various pastors across the church. Child care is included, um, and it's really powerful. Um, how many of you were part of the academy last year? Many of you were. Raise your hands high. Okay, it's a powerful thing. I'd love for you to be involved with it. There's also online classes that whole small groups can take together. One of the things I want to encourage you to do with the online classes, maybe you can't do Wednesday night. We've created discipleship pathways. And what I mean by that is, if you say, man, I just really want to know. I've never, I don't know anything about theology. I've never taken systematic theology. That sounds way over my head. It's not. You can do this class. It's made for you, okay? What you can do is take someone else on a journey with you. Find someone from this church, because it's a community thing, right? And say, hey, let's sign up for this together. It's 10 weeks. We'll go through the lectures. We'll go through the homework together. We'll get together once a week, and we'll learn. 10 weeks, you're in and out. And if we create this, these peer-to-peer discipleship groups, this is how the church takes off, right? We're growing together. The academy. If you haven't signed up for that, sign up. Number two, second idea. So first one, we are a Bible-rooted community. Number two, we are a countercultural community. We are a countercultural community. Verses 14 to 19. Read this way. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Woo! Let me read that again. I have given them your word. Where am I? Verse 14. Given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also might be sanctified in truth. All right, let's start with the first part, the big one in there. I've given them your word, 
and the world hated them. You know, a while ago, I was, uh, I was this is years ago when I first started being a pastor, I was assigned preaching on uh, Jesus' teaching about loving your enemies. <laughs> and I remember as I was preparing for the message, what was going through my head is, this is great. This is great material if ever I have an enemy. <laughs> but I've never really had an enemy. Uh, and so uh, I'll keep this one in my back pocket for the day that I have an enemy who just really hates me. And I was reflecting on that. And, you know, as I've grown over the last 10 years, I've made a lot of enemies along the way. And, uh, and one thing I've found is this. When you stand for the word of God, the world will hate you. That does not mean that you go about intentionally making enemies. That's not what I'm saying. And I actually have, I, I believe that as we step in love into people's lives, we'll see a lot of softening of hearts. But I know this. The firmer you take a stance for the word of God and the ethics of God in this insane generation that we're living in right now that wants to convince us that we can tell little boys and little girls that they can have operations to change themselves physically that, are, that physically can't be undone. Right? This is the world we're living in. The more you stand on the word of God and you say, in love, that's not gonna work. And the way I know that is because I have a Bible that has dictated truth to me. And God has told us about this. And actually it ministers to those with gender dysphoria. It ministers to those with all types of dysphoria. It ministers to those with all types of hardships and brokenness. And, and let me be in your life and, and show you what the word of God says. There's two responses that happen. And I've experienced both of them. The more you do that with boldness and courage, by the way, courage is a hallmark of this church. We're not playing passive Christianity. Days of passive Christianity are gone. Passive Christianity is why we got ourselves into this mess that we're in right now, just so you know. A couple of generations of Christians who like to play holy huddle on Sunday, no impact during the week. You get a culture that goes down the drain. And now the church has a moment to step up and to be courageous and to fulfill Jesus' words that when you stand on the word of God, you're gonna make some enemies along the way. Guess what? It's okay. It's okay. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. You know what that means? That means that you don't have to, you don't have to win an argument. <laughs> you don't have, if someone hates you you, you, you don't have to defend yourself because you're so rooted in the, in the love of Jesus. You can say, I, I see you. I get it. I, get, I totally get where you're coming from. It's okay. Okay? And you know there's a saltiness about you when you do that? Blessed are the meek. That's not weak that's strong on the word of God with the knowledge that your identity is firm in Christ and you don't need to defend yourself or win an argument or beat somebody up. Here's what you need. You need the word of God because Jesus is your rock. So, so here's what we are. We're a countercultural community. He says that we're sent into the world with the word of God to stand firmly on the word of God, not to beat people with it, but to bring them to truth, to sanctify our communities, to step into hardship in apartments when people's marriages are hurting, when people's children are hurting, when people are hurting. And you bring your Bible with you and you bring truth with you wherever you go. We're not of the world. Jesus says, they're not of the world just like I wasn't of the world. That's interesting. We get this wrong. So many Christians today, we forget that we're a new creation. You're not who you were. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he gave you a new heart that started beating in a new way for the first time. 
And you can't go back to who you were. Whatever you were before, that is done. It's not you anymore. It's an old life. The old is gone, the new has come. You are a Christ one. He has you. You're rooted in him. He will never let you go. You are being sanctified. You will be glorified on the day that Jesus takes you home. And if that's today, you'll be singing hallelujahs in his courts. You, 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 are, you are that son or daughter in the Lord. And you're not of this world. You don't think like this world. You don't, you don't celebrate the way you used to in this world. You're not partying like the world parties. You're partying in a different way. You're partying the way the angels party, when they celebrate, when a new person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And you're getting all the joy and all the life. And you're finding that that old life that you used to like only led to death, it only led to pain, it only led to hardship, it only led to, led to scars. And you're finding more and more as each day goes by, you know what? This new life is good. The more I lean on the Bible, I can't explain it. Flourishing comes everywhere I go. My heart's beating again. Joy's coming. Family's changing. Dynamics are changing. See, and so, many, so often the church, we forget that we're countercultural and we try to play this game where we try to appease all the non-Christians around us by acting like we're not Christians. We, we sing hallelujah in here. We're worshiping our hearts out. We're clapping to the songs. And then we go out there and we do everything we can to blend in as if we're of the world. That strategy does not work. You're living a hypocritical life. I'm living a hypocritical life when I do that. It's not meant to be an accusation. When I do it, I'm living a hypocritical life. We're not of the world, but we're sent into the world. We were not sent into a holy huddle on a Sunday morning to live out our faith here. We were sent to be the salt of the earth. And if salt has lost its saltiness, Matthew 5, it's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are salt. You're to be in the, in the, in the nooks and crannies of the city. Think of a salt truck going by and just spreading the salt. It flies into every little nook and cranny and melts it down. And that's your identity. You're sent. You're countercultural. You think different. You don't just buy what the news tells you. Right or left. You look at the Bible. You make your own mind up what the Bible says about it. And then you stand strong on it. You don't waver. You're jealous for the word of God. You're hungry to see society change. You're hungry to see your, fa your family deeper in Jesus. or countercultural. And if you get that, I think reform starts taking place all around you. The echoes of a community that, that starts to pick this up, it, it just, it, it echoes through, through cities. This is what happens. The great revivals are marked by small groups of people who got it and did it together. This is how it works for a countercultural community. David, uh, no. Number three, we are a missional community. We are a missional community. Verses 20 through 21. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, so that, here we go, so that the world may believe, what? That the Father has sent the Son. 
The Father sent Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, not just to give us a life to follow. He did that. But he sent him to take on himself our sins, to die in our place on the cross because there is salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus Christ. Every one of us are gonna face our judgment day one day. Mine was but an inch or two away from yesterday. And and when we face the Lord, when we face the Lord, here's what's gonna happen. You will give an account for your life and you will be found guilty as a result of your sin, your breaking of God's command. It has an impact that you cannot see and you will be guilty and you will know that God's justice is right on your sin. And you will stand there guilty and forgiven underneath Jesus' Christ, his blood fully shed to pay the consequences for your sin, or you will be found guilty with no one forgiving you, ready to pay the judgment for your own sin. And if you don't believe that's what's going to happen, you are arguing with God's word who has spoken to us about what happens the moment after we die. And I want to position that before you today. Why are we here? Why were we sent? So that the world might know that the Father sent the Son. The mission has not changed. It has not changed. That's your mission field. I love this room because it's got a big window that you can filter everything I say every week through your mission field. I love it. The mission's not changed one bit. What are we doing? What are we busy with? Are we busy with picking the best coffee out? And are we, you know, what are we busy with? Are we busy with trying to have the, the, the best play dates and the, the best parties and the, the best? What, what are we busy with? Sometimes I look online and the church is like a circus. It really is. It's like a big circus. Come see the clowns put on a show. I hate to say it, it's embarrassing. It really is. And Jesus is so simple. What are we? What are we about? Here's a, here's a phenomenal idea. Let's go to what Jesus said. Well, number one, right, we're a Bible-rooted people, okay? Number two, we're a countercultural people. And number three, we're a people on mission. We're not playing circus. We're out. We're about. We're in We're ingrained in everywhere we go, and it's our identity. Look, if you don't have that identity, I need you to understand, this is not phase two of Christianity. The moment you accepted Jesus, you became a missionary. This prayer applied to you. And you don't need to go to seminary to learn how to be a missionary. All you gotta do is join a local church. You get plugged in, and you get sent out. All through the week, six days a week, you're out, you're out, you're out. One day a week, we come together with battle wounds to share what God's been doing in our life, to encourage one another, to lift one another up, to dig into the word, be filled, to be sent back out again. How do we do this well? I told you the story of the two missionaries, two missionary groups. This year, we have a very intentional strategy. It's so simple that every person in this room can do this. Every person can do this. And I think, actually, as I walk through this, I'm just willing to bet. I've already gone through all this with our members. I'm willing to bet that every person in this room is going to look at this and go, I'm kind of excited to try that. (laughs) I want to see what happens if I get busy with this. We want you to bless people. It's a little acronym that a pastor out in the West Suburbs came up with, and I think it's phenomenal. 
Five ways to just love your community and disciple them. For you to say, God's got me in my home here. Who are my neighbors? Who's above me? Who's below me? Who's down the hall from me? Who are my coworkers? Who's my, you know, who's at the desk next to me? The desk over here. Who am I taking the bus with in the morning? And then for you to say, guess what Christian God's got in all those places? It's not me. It's you. And you have been sent. So how do you do it? Here's a little acronym. The acronym is BLESS, okay? And, and look, what we're gonna do with this, I'm gonna teach it right now, and then we're gonna have accountability around this all year. Our small groups are being trained on how to hold each other accountable to this. We're gonna have whole blessing nights where we throw Matthew parties, where, where the job is, the goal is just to invite as many people into your home as possible, and you're gonna do, you're, you're not gonna beat them over the head with the Bible. Here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna eat with them. You're gonna listen to their stories. You're gonna love them. You're gonna be there for them, find ways to serve them. You begin with prayer. Every day, we're gonna ask you to be praying for one person who does not know Jesus in your life, a neighbor, a coworker. In fact, we're inviting every person in this small group to make a list of 15 people. And if you can't make 15 right now, that's okay. Maybe you got seven in your life that you, that you know of. That's eight more slots. You should get busy with getting to know some people. Okay, this is a pretty dense city. You can find some people, okay? You're gonna begin with prayer. Every day, you're gonna pray for one person, Next one, listen, L. You're gonna listen to people's stories. Jesus says be, uh, or James says, be slow to speak, quick to listen. I need that one a lot. I, <laughs> I forget, okay? I'm an extrovert. For you extroverts out there, that one's hard. What does it mean to listen? It means you listen to stories. Do you know the number one way to get someone to talk is by asking them where they came from? What's your story? What was your parents like? What'd you overcome in life? Sit down with them. Listen to their story. People are amazing. Do you know what people have overcome? You know, you're, you're sitting next to someone right now, and if you don't know next to them, they have overcome unbelievable things in their life. They're right next to you right now. It's incredible. Ask them about their story. Sit down with an hour over a cup of coffee and have no agenda other than finding out their story. Can you imagine if 150 people got busy with that work? Just the L and the B? Here's another one, eat with them. Invite them to your house. This isn't that hard, right? This isn't rocket science. This is just Bible. This is what Jesus did. This is so simple. It's like, how did we not figure this out already? You eat, have a meal, cook them, you know, cook them some burgers. The Bears game is on at noon. Invite them over to your house, watch the Bears game, cook them some food, serve some nachos, and just eat with them. Do you know how far a meal goes in breaking down walls and building friendships? What's the next one? Serve. What are you gonna do? You're gonna serve them. Look for creative ways to literally just show up at their doorstep. Here's some flowers. I was thinking of you. You ever had someone, you ever had someone show up on your door out of nowhere and just say, yeah, I was thinking of you and I wrote you a card and uh, I made you some cookies. Where's, uh, where's Jess Hudson over here? The other day you showed up at our door, some little cookies, you made, little cute, sweet cookies with a card. Do you know what that makes us feel like? Who doesn't love that? My wife gets random flowers from someone in the church. Come on, women, you'd be over the moon, right? Someone just showed up, I was thinking of you, here's some flowers. What? What if you did that for 15 non-believers in your life? What if you went out to make disciples? Because you, why? Because you're sent and Jesus prayed over you that you would do it. Just serve them. And if you don't know how to serve them, have a meal with them. Listen to their story, and I bet you'll figure out at least one way to serve them. 
And then as the time goes by, and you're building these relationships, and you're intentional, and the moment comes when they say, well, what's your story? You know what your story is? You were saved by the blood of the lamb. You were you have no right to call yourself a follower of Christ, but the number one identity marker about you is that Jesus got a hold of you. He changed everything about you. <laughs> totally countercultural. You know what you, you know what they're going to do when they when you tell them that? They're going to go they're they're, they're going to go what? what? I, I wasn't ready for that. And if they got to know you, you shared a meal with them and you served them, you brought them flowers and you heard their story, you know what they're going to do next? They're going to go Tell me more. And you're going to tell them your whole story. You're going to tell them about your church. You're going to pray with them. And they're going to come to know Jesus. This is what we're up to this year. And you're invited into it. It's going to be a good year. It's going to be a really sweet year. We got our small groups ready to roll. They're going to be held accountable to walking through this with each other. I started by saying yesterday was a bit of a wild day for me. A bit of a wild morning waking up, thinking about, uh, could have been waking up a little bit differently <laughs> than I am. Life's really short, guys. I don't want to waste a second. Too much work to do. Too much gospel work in front of us. I don't want to be busy with the wrong stuff. I want to be busy having meals with people. And I want you to be busy with it too. When we, when we show up on, uh, in the gates of heaven, I don't want Jesus to look at us and say, you floated by for a while and you got in. Good for you. I want him to look at it and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. You made much with the, with the talents I gave you. Can you pray with me? Father, we love you. We're so grateful. We're so, so grateful for this sweet church community. Lord, do something here that's bigger than us. God, we've got two songs to sing here and going to take communion together. God, I pray that in these next 10, 15 minutes of worship as we close our service out, uh, that your spirit would move in a way that is different, that is marked, that is community building, that is church building, and that you would send us out of here. Lord, we give you this year. We just want to follow Jesus. That's it. At at the end of the day, we want to make a whole big noise about Jesus. And uh, and we pray for your help in that. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.